After service today, we are having our helpers meeting for the camp. If you put your name on that list, uh, we'd like you to be here if you can. If you can't, that we understand. Um, we'll, we'll get you an email or something to let you know where we stuck you. If you're not here, though, <laughs> guess what you get? Um, you don't know what you're going to get. We'll give you the, well, the worst job we can find. That's the joke. Okay. Great garage sale. Um, everything went really well. Um, thank you so much for all of you who were able to help. Um, it just, all those hands just makes it super easy, or not super easy, easier. Um, and it was a long two days, but um, really fruitful and, and, and good. And the cleanup was amazing. I'm always amazed by that. You guys just get it wrapped up in an hour and a half, and we're back to our usual selves around here. So thank you for that. Same for the work day, too. I don't know if I mentioned that. Just thanks for all the help for that work day. And um, it just, just makes a difference when we all come together and do that. And you get to know each other better, too. It's just a good time for that. So thank you. Um, it was good. All right. So right after service, I mentioned that. We're having a, a meeting uh, for the camp. Uh, registration forms for your kids then. We'd like those in by next week if we can. If you haven't got those in, please get those in so we can start, you know, seeing how many we have in each age group and all that and, and, and so on. So there's a tray out there. You can set those in there. Also, just it's okay to staple the check right to it or put it in an envelope and staple the cash right to it. No one's going to steal the money. You know, I, people come up and say, there's money in the, I set it in there just so you know. It's like, we're pretty safe around here. There's a few of you I wonder about, but for the most part, it's going to be okay if you set it out there. So, And that way, and the reason I say it is because it's easy to line it up. We know who's done what as opposed to putting it in the box and their registration. We've got to match up names because some of you uncles and aunts are paying for cousins and nephews and whoever, and uh, it's kind of hard. So if you just put it right there with your registration form, we know that kid will we'll allow him to come to camp is what it is. So, yeah. We need registrations today. Never mind. If you don't get them in today, your kid can't come to camp. I'll give you a hit. Yeah, we need to get the t-shirts ordered. So thank you. Sorry. As soon as he leaves, I'll tell you the, the real thing here. That's a tactic we use. Because you can still sign your kids up afterwards if you want to. Is he, is he watching and pay attention? Yeah. But we do. It does help us get ahead of the game. So, But if you do sign up later, your kids can still come. We'll let them. So. We just don't get a t-shirt. Oh, I forget. His wife's sitting right here. Darn it. <laughs> All right. I've only had three of these today. I, I'm, I'm not my sharpest yet. <laughs> All right. Chapter 18. Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So, Israel taken captive. We're going to get a little rehash of that in this chapter, um, what we've already read. So meanwhile, from Israel, back in Judah, here's what's happening in Judah. We get this great king named Hezekiah. The son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he started, it says. And he reigned about 29 years. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, we haven't heard that in a long time as we've been going through these kings. Um, it's nice, you know. David wasn't a perfect man. But he was the standard of what it should look like to be a ruler or a leader. Because with those imperfections, David knew what to do with those things. And that's really what these chapters are about. I mean, we're gonna, I mean, it's a common theme throughout these two chapters. David understood that when he sinned, when he figured out that the story from the prophet was about him, I'm the man, you know, 
Then he repented. And we have some of the most beautiful Psalms ever written from a heart of a man who knew he had failed, but knew he had a relationship with God that was strong enough that he could come to the Lord. There was a way back to come to the Lord. And that's what it means that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like his father David. So when Hezekiah sins, which he, he does and will, he has a way and understands how to come back. It's a relationship. We all have that. And so when it says this, this is a nice break from what we've been reading about all these failed kings who are doing things their own way. Here's what he did when he became king. Verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Neheshtan, which means bronze thing. Genius, right? They must have had a committee for that one. What should we call it? Let's call it bronze thing. Good job, Bob. We're going to call it bronze thing. Bad. Here's the thing. We've, we've not seen any of the kings take away the high places. What are the high places? Well, we had the sacred pillars, and we have got the other gods that they were worshiping, and we knew that was bad. But these high places were places they would go to other than the true altar at the temple, which was the only place prescribed by God to worship the Lord. It was the only place he allowed it to happen. There's one location. And, well, they didn't like that, so they set up high places and all the high hills. They could worship God there if they wanted to, in the way that they wanted to whether that was burning incense or whether that was chanting or whatever they wanted to do, but they were sort of worshiping the true and living God, but in a way they wanted to do it. And that was not pleasing to the Lord. And there's a reason for that. It's not that he just is mad that you're not doing it my way. Everything that happened, the system that God had set up in Israel to worship him in spirit and truth, the sacrificial system, the lambs, the taking of your sins and passing them on to the sins of the animal and have, was all foreshadowing and pointing towards what Christ would do one day. And so when they would forsake this one specific way which God had prescribed for them to do, so it was always a constant reminder of the Messiah that he would send, his son, and they would go up into these high places and do it their way, that's offensive to him. That's like spitting on Christ. Oh, yeah, I know, your son, your son, your son. But I want to do it my way. There aren't other ways to get to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven. You can only go through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, he says. It's very narrow. And it isn't narrow because he wanted to see if anybody could figure it out. Like it's a hidden thing. It's not, I provided the best and only way that it can happen. There aren't other ways, other plans that I rejected. There's only one way to heaven, and there's only one way to do this, and that's through a perfect person, my son Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, God come in the flesh, laying down his life for the sins of everybody else that can't lay down their lives on their own because they're sinners. They're imperfect sacrifices. Remember the system? We got to take the lamb and we got to look it over and we got to make sure it's without blemish. They're not being picky. They're representing and showing what Christ had to be. We, ha we cannot have any flaws, no sin at all. And while Jesus comes in on the donkey into Jerusalem at the beginning and pre preparatory days of the Passover, meanwhile, while that's going on, and he's coming in. The lambs are coming in the sheep gate over here, being examined to make sure they're going to be acceptable for the nation. And not a whole lot of people connecting the dots that day. 
And that whole week, Jesus is examined by people, by the high priest, by the rulers, the religious rulers of the day. And by the end of it, Pontius Pilate stands up and says, I find no fault in this man. That's a big deal. He's the perfect lamb that takes away the sin of the world, his cousin said. So when he takes down these high places, God is like, yes, exactly, Hezekiah, you understand it. It's not about squashing individualism. It's about accepting the way that I, it's about trusting me. It's about believing me, God says. Hezekiah says, we don't need all that. And that's what verse 5 says. He trusted in the Lord, God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. I don't want to skip this, this bronze serpent thing. Remember the bronze thing? Brilliant. Not very smart, not very original. This thing happened 800 years ago. This is from Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. I'll read it to you. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It was the way of salvation from this plague that was moving through the camp. The nation of Israel had been brought out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness complaining, being in rebellion. God was tired of it, sent serpents through, and begins to bite everybody. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. God says, okay, okay, do this. Sets up this serpent, and everybody that looks at it gets healed. Everybody who doesn't look at it doesn't get healed. Jesus later on in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we know 16, but do you know the previous verses? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now nobody on the ground who got bit by a snake understood how in the world looking at a pole with a snake wrapped around it is going to heal him, but anybody that believed it because God said so got healed. Likewise, Christ being high and lifted up, how in the world does an innocent man dying on a cross make a way for me to get to heaven? I don't know, but God said so, so I'm looking to the cross and I'm forgiven. It's the same thought. Now, these guys took it a step further. So for 800 years, they've been protecting this bronze serpent. Stick's probably gone by now, but the bronze serpent lives on to the point where it was no longer just a memory. It became a relic to which they worshipped. They burned incense to it. And that's why he crushed it. No. Now see, when Hezekiah is coming through the kingdom, he's a 25-year-old kid, right? It's not really old to become leader of the nation, but there he is. And he starts taking down all the idols. You got most of the people clapping, you bet. High places, well, you got a little less people clapping, but okay. But you touch the bronze serpent. I bet everybody's like, what is it? He is, he's gone too far. This is a tradition we've had for 800 years. We've been preserving that thing for 800 years. And this kid comes up, stomps on it, and crushes it. You know that's what happened. That's how those things always go down. Those are sacred cows. We call them today. You don't do that. That's a tradition. 
Tradition, you know, one of my favorite musicals. Yeah, well, it's sin. And Hezekiah called it. That's, that's amazing. And God is completely happy with him. See, the serpents that were actually going through back in numbers and wiping people out were only killing people physically. And we really need to get that in our heads and in our hearts. This bronze serpent that was meant to heal them has now become an idol, a place of worship for people, and taking people away from their eyes off of God was actually killing them spiritually, which is far worse. It would have been better for this thing not to have been made and allowed all the nation of Israel to be wiped out physically than for it to be made and turned into a place of worship where people die eternally. It's a big deal. I don't mind having bronze serpents in my past to look back on and remember all that God has done for me, but they cannot become idols in our lives. I love hymns. Hymns are great. But God hasn't stopped writing songs. He's still writing beautiful songs. We sang a lot of them today. I love singing the old rugged cross. I like singing Amazing Grace. Those things are great. But for those that are stuck and begin to worship these things, no, 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 God is still writing beautiful music through things. Yeah, 800 years ago, he saved us by this bronze serpent, but what's he doing today? Because he's still, he's still alive. He's still moving through his people. What's God doing today? We could do that. I remember back in the day when I got saved in the tent and the revival back in... That's wonderful. What did God do? Has he done... Or what is he doing in your life today? You know? Well, nothing. I have been walking with the Lord for 30 years, but that day was great. You know? Okay. Well, crush the bronze serpent, and let's see what he wants to do today. You know? God wants to move and work and is. Some of you are brand new believers and God just started writing in your book. You know, the epistle, you're the living epistle that everybody's reading, Paul says. You guys are my living epistles, he says. That's what's happening to you. That's exciting. Not a dead church where a long time ago, man, if this place ever becomes that. You know, oh, I remember when we were in the fireworks tents. When this place wasn't built yet, it was just being put in. All we had was a slab, and it was October, and the snow, and the rain, and we had those, those propane heaters. Remember those wonderful days? Do you remember those days properly? You remember how we had to keep the kids away from them because they'd lose their skin if they touched those crazy things? Those heaters? Death trap things? And we'd set, I remember setting my gloves on them one time. They were knit on this side and had some kind of plastic leather, and they... Well, they didn't come off after I set them on there. Yes, fine. It was a wonderful thing, I guess. I'm really glad we're not in those things anymore, though. You know? What's God doing? Ugh. I don't want a church that's on life support, you know, that needs external machines or anything to keep it going. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is alive, and He's moving and working through people. We don't want bronze serpents. Just crush them and move on. So he does. Good for him. Now, 
It came to pass, now this is the rehash I warned you about, 9 through 12 tells us what we read in verse, or chapter 17 about what happened to the northern tribes in Israel. We're focusing on Judah right now because they're still here, but this goes over what happened when they got taken to Assyria. They're in captivity now, but we kind of go over this again because we need to get into the head of Hezekiah. That's what the writer's doing here. Not that we need to be reminded, but we need to understand where Hezekiah is, Okay. So four years into Hezekiah's reign, this is what takes place in the northern kingdoms of Israel. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, while he's just started, which was the seventh, seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria, put them in Halah, and by the harbor, the river of Gazan, Gazan, or Gozan, excuse me, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but trespassed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. So he witnessed all this as king of the south, and so that's where his head is, that's where his mind is. Okay, he's concerned. And so there's a lot of revival taking place. We need to get right with the Lord. We need to get rid of these things. And so he's moving in the right direction. Now, so that was four years into his reign. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so 10 years later, Sennacherib, a new king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities in Judah and took them. So he's saying the same thing happened to his country as what happened to the northern tribes, even though he's cut down the sacred pillar, even though the high places are gone. And so he's kind of probably, my, my guess is, questioning. Like, maybe we've got this coming. A lot of us have made U-turns along, along this road of life, you know, we were headed down the path of death. We figured out this is not where we need to go. We've made a U-turn. We've come back, but we sowed a lot of seeds along the way in our life, and those seeds are going to bear fruit, and we understand that. And I think that's where he is. We may have had a revival. We may have turned from the Lord, but I know I've done a lot of damage, and I've left a wake of destruction in my life, and I'm going to have to live with those decisions that I made. But I've stopped making bad decisions. I'm starting to live for Christ, but I understand why this is happening. That could be where he is right now. Yes, we've done the right thing, but that doesn't mean that God has taken away all of that fruit from all those wicked seeds we planted. A lot of people come to the Lord during tough times. I'm, I'm about to go to jail. I need Jesus in my heart. And that's fine, wonderful, but now you're going to be a minister in jail. Inmate number 557, five, not, not as like you're visiting. You're going to belong there, not you in a ministry field. God doesn't take away that event but you'll be saved through that event, you see. Same with all the things that are going on in the world right now. I think I better darken the door of a church. I better start, you know, worshiping Jesus again. That's fine, but when things die down, will you still be darkening the door of churches and worshiping Jesus? Or if they don't die down, will you be mad because you didn't fix it and stop worshiping Jesus? We come to Christ because we don't want to go to hell. My decisions... Me ruling my own life has led to so many bad choices, so many sins. I have separated myself from God. He has no other choice but to send me away from him. But he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so that his son could pay for my sins, and now I am righteous. I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's been given to me. 
That's why I worship Jesus. I don't care whether I have cancer or not. I don't care if I get that. I don't expect God to miraculously keep me protected in this bubble of honeymoon. I expect to lose money on things. I expect to get ripped off at wherever. I'm not going to hell. That's what I sing about. Thank you, God. I'm not going to hell. You know, I mean, I'm excited about that. It's hot and bad, and I don't have to go there anymore. So whatever else happens, it's like, whatever. Ten years later, I think that's where Hezekiah is, and he understands that. So maybe I need to do something about it. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong by rebelling against him earlier and not submitting to him. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. What do I owe? It's extortion, but what do I owe? And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah's king of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. That was part of his reformation. As he takes down the high places, he cuts down the sacred pillars, all the gold that was stripped earlier from previous kings, he begins to rebuild God's house to its former glory by overlaying it with gold again. Maybe that's a bad idea. And so he takes all that down and gives it to him. I'm going to give him grace. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Poor guy. You know, he's picking up a lot of pieces from a lot of other kings. He's doing the best he can. Verse 17. Then the king of Assyria sent to uh, sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and Rabshakeh from Lachish. Now, these are the underlings of the king of Assyria. So the commander and the chief of staff basically show up as an envoy to the king of Assyria, from the king of Assyria to, to, to ask and speak with the envoy from Israel or from Judah at the time with a great army, so they didn't come by themselves against Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah and they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shibna, or Shib, Shib, yeah, Shibna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So he sends out his three guys to talk to their two guys. Then Rebshekah, or the Rebshekah, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? And that, that's a valid question from the world. As they look at this situation, they've got a, well, they've got 185,000 guys out here. It's a big army. And they're looking at this city, and they see them all standing up there, not coming out. And they're like, what is your master plan here? Because clearly you're not prepared for what's about to happen. What is this that you trust in? We don't want to do this. We don't want to be here through a siege. It takes three years. It takes a long time. You're going to end up eating your own feces by the time this is done. Can we just work this out and get this over with? This is the idea. That's what this conversation's about. What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power of war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, 
on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. They're assuming they've got some kind of treaty or agreement with uh, Egypt. And this Pharaoh says, yeah, we'll back you. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, if it's not just Egypt and you think there's this God, the Lord, and he's using the name of the Lord, is it not he whose high place and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? See, they think that was a bad idea. As they're looking, they said, they're taking down half their churches over there. All those high places and all those things over there, they're all coming down. God's not going to be happy about that. So he's letting them know. You guys have made a tremendous, isn't it your king that knocked down half the churches? They got to go to one place and worship, you know? This guy says he knows the Lord. He's using, he's invoking his name. And it's just funny when the world, an unbeliever, begins to invoke the name of the Lord. You get that a lot today. And I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but leave it to me. But doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to submit to the governing authorities? Yes. Do you understand what country you live in? Do you even know who the governing authorities are? It's us. We have representatives. We don't have rulers. And if they don't represent us properly, we get new ones. You see? I don't live under Caesar, nor do I live under anybody like that. We don't, I don't have Nero. If I don't like what I see, my legal way of going against what I'm seeing in my country, my country for the people, by the people, and of the people, is for me to elect new people that represent me and my beliefs properly. It's what we do. And so you see people invoking the name of the Lord. Unbelievers, doesn't the Bible say somewhere? Well, if you don't know where it's at in the Bible and you're not giving me a verse, you're probably not walking with the Lord anyway because you didn't look it up and didn't take the time to do it. And you're using it out of context. Because in context, the way you're using it, then that means our country that was founded on a revolution that took place from men of God that obviously didn't understand your wisdom because they should have just submitted to the king. At the time. What's the Boston Tea Party? What a bunch of rebels. Not very good Christians. <laughs> you don't understand. You don't get it. And besides that, you got these ridiculous apostles that were told not to preach in Jesus. And there they go, talking about Jesus, even though they were told not to. So let's keep these scriptures in context here. So when unbelievers tell you about your faith, we best know. Well, it does say that. Come on, let's look at the whole scripture and let it interpret itself. I told you, your God's, he's not going to be happy with you wiping out all the churches. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you can able to find riders for him. This guy, right? This dude. What a ray of sunshine he is. How then will you repel one captain to the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place and destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up and against this land and destroy it. Now he's saying, God told me to do this. Your God told me to wipe you out. That's what he said. <laughs> I don't think so. Then Elkiah, the son of Hil Hilkiah, Shibna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. 
So this guy's saying all this to him. They're like, hold it down. Because there's a bunch of Jewish people over the wall going, what's going on, man? It's a bunch of eavesdroppers up there. It's like, <laughs> but Rev Shekha said to them, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Hey, you guys need to hear this up here. So I'm speaking in Hebrew. You're going to all be eating and drinking your own feces pretty soon, just so you guys are not. So go take your king, that's what he's about to tell him, and tell these guys to take a flying leap and come out. So he's appealing to the masses now as opposed to the leadership. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah, your king, deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. God's not going to save you. Don't let him trick you into that stuff. The Lord will surely deliver us, or will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't let him say that to you. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine. And every one of you his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. Until I come to take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine and a land of bread and vineyards and olive groves and honey, and you may live and not die. See, that's their, that was their deal. That's what happened to the northern tribes. They were taken captive, displaced, moved to another land because you don't fight as strong. when You're on someone else's land, and we went over that with you. We'll do the same thing. We're going to give you your own plot of land. Just don't make a fuss. These are the same promises God gave to the nation of Israel when he brought them into the promised land. And so this serpent is telling them, I can give you the same thing. It doesn't have to go this way. Just bow down and worship me. Does Satan not have any new tricks in his bag? This is the same thing he said to Jesus. I can give you all these nations, he says. Just bow down and worship me. You don't have to go to the cross is what he's getting at. You don't have to go to the cross. That's the hard way. The easy way, worship me. I'm not going to make you do that. I'll give you all these nations. Jesus' response wasn't, no, you can't. You don't have the authority, because he did have the authority to do that. He is the God of this world. What he said was, you shall not have no other gods. I'm not supposed to bow down and worship anybody other than my father. So no. This guy's using the same verbiage as Satan used. And so that's where we know where it comes from. I'm going to give you your own vine. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Syria? We've beat every other god out there. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arapat? Where are the gods of Sepharvim and uh, Hena and Iva? Indeed, and he's going to say those names over and over again, and I'll probably skip them. But that's all he's got in his bag. Haven't you seen us beat all these guys before? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Now, this guy was just invoking the name of the Lord, but then challenges him and says, your God can't beat me. So that tells me he's being disingenuous about actually hearing from the Lord. They should, they're picking up on this, I think. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shibna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, 
came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. What are we going to do, man? What's up, boss? How do we do this? And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And that's the right response. I don't know. I offered him money, but here he sits with 185,000 soldiers at my door. I tried to appease the world, the flesh, and they weren't satisfied. Imagine that. And here they sit at my door. It didn't work. So I'm going to go to the house of the Lord and ask. Then he sent Elkayim, or Eliakim, excuse me, who was over the household, Shibna the scribe, and the elders and the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet. Remember, he's a contemporary. He's ministering all over the nation right now. Isaiah is telling him, return to the Lord. He's the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of uh, the Reb Shekah, whom, whom, his, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. That's a very important statement he just made. This guy is mouthing off to these three guys and the people on the wall, but there's someone else listening all the time to all these challenges, and that's the Lord. Oh, you were invoking my name? I guess I can show up in this conversation. And Oh, you said I sent you. Okay. Oh, you say you're going to beat everybody up. Okay. See, our Father in heaven, he can spank us all day long, and that's how we know we're his. <laughs> Stay out of the street. You know, don't do that. Don't touch that. It's hot. He can do that all day long. But somebody else, we, we have a term, I think we use say mama bears. Is that what we call mamas who need to defend their? Yeah, I, I, I know my kid did that wrong, but you don't get to talk to him like that. That's my job. Well, we got a father bear here. He's going to step in. Yeah, I, I was listening. So the servant of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the kings of Assyria, or the king of Assyria, have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. You don't have to do a thing. I'm just going to have him hear something. He's going to turn around and run away. And that's exactly what happens. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. What are you doing, man? We were about ready to go take these guys out. We got the whole army there. I need you over here. There's something bad over here. So these guys over their shoulder as they're going to help their king, I guess we're done here. We're, we're, we're coming back, writes a letter to him. Writes a letter to the king of Judah. He departed from Lachish, and the king heard concerning uh, Tarhak. You know, that guy, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, this is like over his shoulder, write him a letter, tell him we're going to be back. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Don't trust in him. He's a liar. Your God's a liar. It's exactly what he said to Eve in the garden. I mean, Satan is not really original. He's not original at all. Still doing it today, doubting God's word. So he sent messengers, don't let, don't let your God deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Syria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? 
Again, the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed. Gozan and Haran, and it goes to these guys, again, the same people, Rezhef and the people of Eden who were in uh, Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of uh, Sepharvaim, or whatever, Hannah and Iva, beat them all. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. Here it is, this wicked, threatening letter. Read it. And he read it. Sorry. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I don't know what to do with this, God. I you might want to read this. There's something physical there. I, I understand that I've, I'm raising my hands in my heart. I'm worshiping the Lord in my heart. I'm bowing my face to the ground in my heart. We get all that That's because it is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual attitude that we need to have. I'm humbled in my heart and so on. There are times when I need to put my face in the carpet or on the cement or whatever. I don't want to draw attention from anybody else worshiping God. I don't want them looking at me saying, oh, look at, look at Pastor J.D. What a humble man of God on his face before the Lord. And I'll do it privately. But there are times when I physically know I need to be on my face not for, there's that fly. <laughs> he came in during the garage sale. He bothered first service. He's bothering second service. That's all right. There are times when I need to physically do what I say is happening in my heart and lay down before the Lord. And that's all this guy's doing. There's nothing, you know, it's not a, a you don't make a doctrine out of this. And so, therefore, we need to lay physically out the things that are before us, you know, or the things that are bothering us. No, he just does it this time. He says, look at this, look what this threat says from my enemy. Keep that in mind. Because God's going to write his own letter. And he spreads it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations in their, in their lands and have cast their gods in, uh, into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord God, or, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Those other gods were easy. They're just, they're just artistic Creations by men, you're not. You're not the imagination of a person. You are who you are. You're the great I am. Then Isaiah, he's not even near the guy. This is a quiet prayer. Hezekiah has laid out this threat. And Isaiah, from another part of the country, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying in a letter, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him and gives him this beautiful letter. Please understand this. Every one of us in here as believers has an accuser of the brethren. We're told that. And Satan stands night and day accusing us and whispering in our ears too, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this. And he's right. Otherwise, I'd have an argument with him. But for the most part, he's describing me as a failed human being correctly. And I take those accusations and I lay those out before the Lord. And God writes back to me beautiful scriptures that he's written down for all of us to read. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Now, I don't take that scripture and say, great, now I can sin to make God look better. 
Paul says, God forbid that we should sin. But I do know that when I have an accuser and they lay out this letter before me and they threaten me and that I'm going to, I'm a miserable person. I can agree with them saying, you're exactly right. But here's what my father says about me. And I lay his letter right on top of theirs. I am that. I don't argue with you about that. But I do know that I believe my father in heaven when he says I'm forgiven for all of my sins. And so every accusation that you make makes his cross even more true. And I rest on it even, even more than I already do. So here's the letter that he writes to him. The virgin... The daughter, this is to the king of Assyria. I'll toggle. He'll toggle back and forth between talking to Judah in this letter and talking to Assyria. The virgin, the daughter of Zion has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted, your, uh, lifted up your eyes on high? Assyria against the Holy One of Israel. See, when God looks at the nation of Israel, he sees Jesus is coming from this line. And you're attacking this line. Satan always attacks that line, constantly trying to wipe out the nation of Israel throughout history so that Messiah isn't born over here. He knows the plan. So when you speak against these people, you're speaking against my blood, against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. And said, by the multitudes of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars. He's regurgitating back to them their boasts and pride. I will enter the extremity of its borders and uh, to its fruitful forests. I have dug and drunk strange water. And with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the brooks of defense. I heard you say all that, God says. His response did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? All these things you're boasting about, you know you're coming against the one who created the things you're walking on. In fact, I created you. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be a crushing, that you should be crushing or for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruin. You have been a tool in my belt, but not because of you or your greatness, but because I needed a rebuking tool, basically. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed. They were confounded. They were as grass of the field and green herbs as the grass of, a, of the housetops. The, the grain blighted before it's grown. You were strong, basically, because I let you be strong, because I was strong, not because you had a bunch of horses. I heard you say that about the 2,000. That's not why you won. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back by the way which you came. I'm in control, he says. You're not. Now he switches, switches gears. Now he's speaking to Judah, the, the nation. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same, also the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped from the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's for you, he says. Now back to Assyria. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. None of the things he said is going to happen, you guys, he says. You just rest. I'll take care of it. Not even an arrow is going to come over the wall for all you wall sitters. You know. Now, this has got to be one of the greatest stories in the Bible right here, this last paragraph. And it came to pass as it always does when God says it's going to come to pass, it comes to pass. On a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Interesting. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, <laughs> imagine what that... Chat session went like, what happened? <laughs> 185,000 gone. That his sons, while he was worshiping, Adramelech, Adramelech, excuse me, and Sherezer, Sherezer, yeah, right, close enough, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esaradon, his son, reigned in his place. 185,000 with one angel. I only have one more verse, and then we close. It's really not a verse. I'm just going to remind you of the story. Do you remember Peter in the garden? He's supposed to be praying, and he didn't. And he kind of wakes up in kind of one of those sleepy stupors, you know, and he sees Jesus being taken captive, and he pulls out his little switchblade, and he cuts off that guy's ear, right? He's excited. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're all going down, you know, kind of thing. Jesus is like, easy killer, you know, and I got to fix this. And then he tells him, he says, don't you know that I could call for 12 legions of angels if I wanted to? Think about that. One angel kills 185,000 men. This is not a competition. 12 legions, that's 12,000 angels. 12,000 of these guys showing up. If I wanted to stop this, don't you know that I could, Peter? You're not paying attention, you know. There's a purpose for this. Just a reminder for all of us that have recently maybe received a letter or an accusation from our enemy about how bad we are or how we're not worthy. Please, if you need to, physically lay the scriptures out over the top of that accusation and say, no, but my God has covered all that. He's paid for all that. In fact, the more you say against me, the more I realize my rap sheet is longer than I thought. And he's taken more punishment than I thought he did. You're just making him look better the more you accuse me. Now, on the other hand, let's stop sinning, by the way. Be holy for I am holy. Remember, that is where he's taking us. Not to leave us in our sin, not to continue in our sin, but not only have we been set free from going to hell, but we've been set free from our sin so we can walk in obedience to God and not in disobedience. But when you fail, know that you have an advocate with the Father. And then when you need that mercy, that you can come to that throne in times of need. Lord, we thank you for your word. We trust in you like Hezekiah trusts in you. We believe you. Your word says that we're forgiven. Past, present, and future sins have been taken care of at the cross. That there is no more payment for sin. We cannot possibly help out 
the sacrifice that's already been made. And that's the wonder of the cross. That's this beautiful salvation we have. We're so thankful for that, God. Remind us of that. And help us to remind ourselves of what your word says, to read it, to know it, to lay it out before you and trust you at your word. As far as the east is from the west, you've separated our sins from us. We're thankful for that, God. That's big time forgiveness. Don't let our sin, Lord, and accusations of the enemy paralyze us into inactivity, to not ministering, to not serving, to be sit at home moping about our current condition or our walk with you. Help us to get up, know that we're forgiven by your word, whether we feel it or not makes no difference. Your word says so. Help us to minister and serve the people around us who are in desperate straits right now. They don't know what to do. They don't know there's a way of salvation. The good news maybe hasn't been preached to them. They don't know that your son has done this. Help us to understand it first, but then, Lord, help us to share it, this good news. We love you, and we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for the songs we were able to sing and the prayer we're even offering up now. Thank you for this relationship we have with you, God. It's beautiful. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.